Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I want to talk today about one of the most profound truths of Christendom. This is one of those deep and profound things that you may or may not have bumped into, but we're going to try to tackle today uh, this, this big idea. Through the years as a pastor, I have run into people who are going through extreme adversity, really tough times, family, finances, just all the different areas of life that can, you know, show us a certain level of turbulence and hardship, and they come to the place where they're able and they're willing to say something to the effect of, I realize that the best thing for me to do is to receive this adversity as if it were from the hands of God. And instead of fighting it or releasing it or resisting it or, you know, any of those things, just instead of trying to get God on my side, I came to the conclusion that I was going to receive it as if it was from the hand of my loving Heavenly Father. I've heard that. I've heard that more than one time in counseling situations or, you know, in a morning situation where I'm with a family and I'm like, how are you holding up? And they're like, you know, just, just trying to take what God gives here. And I'm not going to ask you this morning to do something that you're not ready to do, and I'm not going to speak as an authority on this topic because I'm not. But some of you need this because for some of you, this is the way forward for you. For some of you this morning, you're in the middle of it, and you're really trying to figure out what is the next step, and how do I move on, and how do I get to a different place? And so this may be the way forward for you this morning. This whole series revolves around a simple question, but a very perplexing question nonetheless. What do you do when there is nothing you can do? What do you do when, when it just seems like there's no way forward, when you find yourself in circumstances and there's no way to fix those circumstances? This is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be, and it's all there is, and as far as you can see into the future, nothing is going to change. It might be a marriage, you're in a marriage, and it's not, a, a, a good, it's not going to be a great marriage, and it's not going to be what you hoped for. There's something going on maybe with one of your kids, and you know, your dream for them is not going to come true, and their dream for them is not going to come true. It doesn't even look like it can come true. It might be something financially or professionally or medically. Maybe you've got an illness, and it's not going to kill you necessarily, but it's going to be a hard thing. Some of your dreams won't come true, and you're going to have to change professions. Maybe you'll have to move. I just talked to a longtime family in our church this morning, and he lost his job, and, and I said, hey, how are things going? He said, well, we're moving to Carolina today. It might be an academic thing for you, and you're never going to medical school, ever. You're not going to law school like you had hoped, or you're not going to get into that school to do that thing that you wanted to do. And it worked out for your brothers, and it worked out for your sister, worked out for your cousins, but it ain't working out for you. And it may be something that you did, or it might have nothing to do with something that you did. And you look into the future, and your future is different than you envisioned it to be. You're having a what now moment. What now? What do I do? Our responses are pretty similar. Some of us get angry with God. Some of us get angry with ourselves. Some of us might get angry with family. And we feel like we have been set up for failure in some degree, to some degree. The temptation is to run. If you're in a relationship or a difficult marriage, the temptation is to, uh, you know, you know you should stay, but the temptation is to run. We we always 
uh, are tempted to give up and to give in. Maybe you're, you're tempted to just, you know, drink it all away or take something to make it all go away and you get into a habit to ease the pain and you know that it's not a healthy thing to do, but trying to solve this problem, you haven't really found a solution and your solutions just seem to make it worse. That trying to ease the tension is actually going to create more tension in your relationships and tension in the family and professionally. And all of us have kind of a knee-jerk reaction sometimes to the adversity that we go through in our life. And then we looked around and we compare ourselves to everybody else. Everybody else seems to have the family that we wanted. Everybody else seems to have relationships the way we wanted to have them. And everybody else seems to have the perfect marriage or the perfect job. And we get jealous, resentful. Ultimately, we get angry. So what do you do when there's really nothing you can do? And and what do you do to keep from doing things that are only going to make things worse? We said last week that in what now moments, we assume a couple of things. Number one, we assume I'll never be happy again. We tell ourselves that a lot. Nothing good can come from this. We just, we make that statement, you know, nothing good can come from this. And number three, there's no point in continuing. And then last week we looked at the Bible, we looked at a couple of accounts of the life of Jesus and we discovered that adversity does not equal the absence of God. We're tempted to believe that. We're tempted to think that because adversity has visited our life that it must mean that God is not there. The presence of adversity does not equate to the absence of God. God is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. In your what now moments, God is not absent, he is not apathetic, and he is not angry with you. But let's be honest, there's something in us when things aren't going our way and things don't seem to work out, it just looks like there's just going to be more of the bad, same bad stuff. And as as far as we can see, it just doesn't look like it's going to get any better, this is the way it is, and it's not changing. There's something in us that wonders, God, where are you and what are you doing and why aren't you fixing this? And even though it seems like it, there is really no actual correlation, even though emotionally there seems to be between God's perceived lack of cooperation and God's love for us. If you're tempted to conclude or assume that God doesn't exist because God won't cooperate, then you would also have to be, have been tempted to believe that your parents didn't exist because they never cooperated, right? I mean, am I the only one who's, who, you know, Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, can I go there? No. And we do that to our kids, right? We want to say yes to them, but they ask us for the dumbest things, like things where there's no way we can say yes to those things. Dad, can I do this? No. There's a commercial out right now where the, you know, the parents, the kids, the one I love is the kid's got the fire extinguisher, and, he's, and the, you can hear the mom or the dad in the background saying, no. You know, he just rolls his eyes like, oh, daggone it. No, you cannot use the fluorescent light bulbs as lightsabers. No, you cannot do that. But, you know, if, if, if your kids started to equate your lack of cooperation with the lack of your existence, they would be walking around going, there is no mom and dad. There is no mom and dad. Because you're just, you know, it's, there's points in their life where you're just saying no a lot. You're not cooperative. And this thinking that since life is dark and since things aren't going to go well or since things can't be changed and God isn't really answering my prayer, 
to somehow equate that with a lack of God's love or a lack of the presence of God is a mistake. And, and part of it is our Western way of thinking because we live in a world where we just think everything should work out. Right? We watch our soap operas or we watch, not soap operas so much, but we watch sitcoms and we watch dramas and movies and, you know, they, there's, they create a conflict and then they resolve the conflict in time for their, the, before the end flashes on the screen and it all worked out. And we just kind of get used to, that's the way it is. It always works out. And because of social media, we are well aware of how things are working out for everybody else in the world, and sometimes we're reminded how they're not working out for us. Because not only do you know what's going on in your neighborhood through the glory and magic that is social media now, you can know what's going on in every other neighborhood. Those that are better than yours and those that aren't quite as good as yours. We know what everybody else drives. We know where everybody else goes on vacation. We know what everybody else is living in. We know when, you know, when somebody gets a new toy or a new whatever, we... They make sure that they let everybody know about it. We all know. And we have this ability that the other generations didn't have to compare ourselves, not just to the people we see, but to the people that are our friends on Facebook or the people who follow us on Twitter or that we follow or whatever. And then you add to that our Western outlook on life when things don't go well and and things aren't wrinkle-free the way we want everything to be wrinkle-free. And we immediately just kind of throw our hands up in the air and we say, God, why are you leaving me out? What's wrong with me? Why are you doing this to me? Why am I on the outs? What's wrong with me? But then you open up your Bible, especially the New Testament, and you discover that the men and women that bring us the story of Jesus were not strangers to adversity. They faced all kinds of things, yet they continued to believe and continued to plod forward in their faith with confidence in God. The early fathers of our faith were not put off by, his, by, by the, what, what we would interpret the absence of God. On the contrary, it seems to have fueled them to make sure that the message of the gospel got out of their difficult circumstances and into our culture and our world. Probably the best example of this is a guy from the first century, a man that we know as the Apostle Paul. And the reason he's one of the best examples is because Paul never met the pre-crucified Jesus. Paul came to faith after the crucifixion of Jesus, and, and Paul never met the pre-ascended Jesus. Paul learned what he knew about Jesus from the people who had hung out with Jesus. That's where he got his information about Jesus. And Paul became a Jesus follower after he had been a Jesus hater. In fact, if you don't like Christians, you, you, you would really have liked the young Paul because however much you hate Christians, he hated them more. Okay? Paul, at the beginning, hated them. Paul stepped into history as a Christian hater and a persecutor. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Paul's job before he came to faith was to get government permission to round up Christians and basically press them to recant their faith. And if they wouldn't recant, his job many times was to set them up to be per, uh, persecuted in the form of, of death. That's kind of what Paul did. And then Paul the hater became Jesus, Paul the Jesus follower and became one of the greatest evangelists our world has ever seen, and he went around all the major Greek cities planting churches. But just as he was getting his life together, just as he was getting things going with God and getting God figured out, just as he came to faith and began doing the things that he ought to do, and his eyes were open to the reality of Jesus, just as he was beginning to make good decisions, 
Something bad happened to the Apostle Paul. He was stricken with some sort of physical ailment. We do not know exactly what it was. You know, people, I told people this week what I would be preaching on, and they said, hey, what do you think was Paul's thing? What was that thing? I have no idea. We don't know exactly what it was. But here's what we know. It wasn't going away. It wasn't going to get better. And it was a hindrance to whatever he believed God had called him to do. And in his turmoil and in his wrestling with God, you know, where he's asking God why, Paul learned a very valuable lesson. And in his explanation, we get this extremely important insight for the rest of us. We find ourselves, or will find ourselves, in a now what moment from time to time. And when we do, it's good for us to lean back into what we learned from Paul. Here's how Paul describes his wrestling and inner turmoil, the affliction that happened to him that would not seem to go away and something that was making it more difficult for him to do the very thing that God had called him to do. When you know anything about the life of Paul, you just know that this man achieved so much. And yet there was this thing. Let's get into it. Verse Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. That little phrase, in order to, um, it's, it's one Greek, little Greek word, and it lets us know that there's a purpose statement. When I had Greek class, we used to have to translate Greek, and um, this little phrase was one of my favorites because I could recognize that one. I couldn't recognize very many, but I could recognize that one, and it was like a three for one. It was one word in Greek, but it was three words in, in English. And so I felt good when I could write three words that I actually knew from the Greek text. But, but the, the phrase, in order to, it's, it's a purpose statement. Paul is saying there's a purpose behind this gift. And here's what's interesting. The Greek word that is translated given, and I'm not going to pronounce the Greek word for you, but it's the most common word for a positive word for a, a kind of a Christmas kind of a birthday kind of gift. In other words, if Paul was around the Christmas tree with his Greek friends opening gifts, this is the Greek word they would have used to have described this gift that's been given. This was a positive thing. This, the way this Greek word is, is given to us, the word given, it's a positive gift. It didn't mean curse. It didn't mean punishment. It was kind of mostly used when you talked about the gods or you talked about God giving a good gift. Paul is choosing his words very carefully, and he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. Paul, what were you given? What was so special that you got to open? And then he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So when you read this, you think, well, Paul, I think you maybe chose the wrong word. I think it should be I was given a curse or, you know, I was, I was cursed with a thorn. I was punished with a thorn. See, given is a positive word. Thorn is a negative word. And the word thorn suggests that this was a constant, irritating problem. And when he uses the word torment, th- that word literally meant to beat somebody up. The picture he's painting there is, is, is a, of a bully at school, you know, where you're around the corner and there he stands and you just start shaking in your shoes because this guy scares you to death. That's That's the word that he's using. It actually meant to strike with a fist. So Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a gift, thank you very much, of a thorn that just kept beating me up day after day after day. 
He calls it a messenger of Satan. Uh, Translators have struggled over the years to figure out what that means necessarily. Some people think that Satan literally did it and God used whatever Satan gave and God came behind it and used it. Other people think that this is a figure of speech. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll say something like, boy, I hit my thumb with a hammer and it hurt like the devil. You ever used an expression like that? They think that maybe that's what Paul's trying to do there. He's using an expression of speech like that. We don't really know um, whether it was a, an expression of speech or a theological statement, but we do know that it is, and it's absolutely clear from the text, that Paul saw this thorn as a gift with a purpose. And it wasn't going away. Some people think that it might have been epilepsy, that while he was speaking and traveling and preaching and, 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 and you know, positioning himself as an authority in the early church, that he would have these fits and that maybe at times he even passed out and, and that you know, there would be maybe possibly these situations where Paul would be trying to preach or trying to teach or trying to debate somebody and he would just black out or he would have a, a seizure or something and then all of a sudden he would come to and you know, people were wondering what was wrong, and, and of course, they didn't understand any of that. People were asking, you know, what's wrong, and some of them compared it to maybe that he was demon-possessed. They didn't, they didn't know. Some people think that it was depression, and, and let's just be honest. If, if you read the book of Acts and you see some of the things that, that Paul went through and that Paul endured, if you had to go through a tenth of what Paul had to go through, I think we'd all be depressed because Paul went through a lot. So it could have been depression. Some think it was headaches. There's no question that Paul had some eye trouble. Uh, it was a, he had a, we, we think he suffered from a debilitating eye disease and it kept him from writing and from reading and probably was the source of some pain for him. Some people think that be, because of some of the areas that he traveled to that it could have been malaria related, that he might have had malaria. The truth is, we don't know exactly what it was, but here's what we do know. It was, it, it was painful like a thorn, it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. This is the guy that was called by God to spread the gospel throughout the Gentile world, and after he had become a Christian, he developed something that was painful, humiliating, and debilitating. That should make some of us at least feel a little bit better. So then Paul tells us what he did when he realized that this was not going to go away. And here's the good news. Paul did exactly what you would do and Paul did exactly what I would do when he was confronted with something that was bigger than him, that was a problem, and he didn't know what to do with it, and it was painful, and it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. Here's what he said he did. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul would say, I'm the apostle. I, I wrote two-thirds of the, the New Testament. You know, I'm not a superman. When something's bothering me, I go to God and I ask God to take it away. There are probably three reasons, three, I'm sorry, three seasons. Let me start that whole thing over. That didn't sound good. There are probably three seasons of Paul's life where the thorn was so unbearable that he probably fell on his knees and just started pleading with God, God, I cannot continue to go to do what you've called me to do with this thing in my life. I cannot continue to do this. I, I can't go anymore. I, 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 can't, I can't stand up in front of people. I can't write. I can't, I can't debate. I can't be faithful. I can't go on unless you take this thing from me. God, please take this from me. 
So three seasons in his life where it's like, I've had enough. God, you've got to do something. Now here's the interesting thing. Some of you have been told that the reason that you're not getting any better or that your life isn't changing is because you don't have enough faith. You ever been told that? Well, the reason your life's not changing is because you don't have enough faith. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. And the reason I don't believe that is because I I think that probably Paul had more faith than all the rest of us in this room put together. There's no way Paul did the stuff he did without immense, immeasurable faith. And simply trying to faith God into something we want God to do is bad theology. Oh, it sounds spiritual, and it looks spiritual, and you can make people think that you're a really spiritual person, and you're really tight with Jesus when you talk like that, and you say that kind of stuff, but it's bad theology. Don't do it. And Paul, a man of extraordinary faith, pleaded with God to do something that would allow him to do God's will in a more energetic and a more powerful way. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Verse 9, but he said to me, but he said to me, and I know for some of you it would be a major breakthrough if God would say anything to you in the middle of what you're going through. Brett, if I could just hear from him, I don't even need to know that he's going to take it away from me. I just need him to, I need to know that he cares. I need to know that he understands and he realizes what I'm up against. I just, I just need some indication that he hears my prayers and that he knows what's going on with me. And the first time Paul asked God, he heard nothing. And the second time he heard nothing. And finally during this third season, he's begging God. He pleaded with God. God, you've got to do something. Paul says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, maybe the best way to understand this sentence is to interchange those two words. Because in this context, they really mean the same thing. You you could actually read this verse, my power is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. You could literally change those words out. And what God said to the Apostle Paul is what some of you need to hear today. Paul, the answer is no. I'm not going to remove this from you. I'm not going to give you what you want here, but I am going to give you the strength and the power, and I'm going to give you the grace that you need to press on in spite of the fact that this is not going to go away. Literally what this phrase means is, my power reaches its full measure and is perfected in weakness. My power reaches its full potential when you are at your weakest. It's as if God said to Paul, Paul, I'm going to show off my power through your weakness. So the answer to your prayer is no. No, I'm not taking it away. So now Paul has a fourth thing that he can add to his list. Not only is it painful, not only is it humiliating, not only is it debilitating, it's permanent. He's got it. It's not going away. Oh, and by the way, Paul, I love you, and I'm going to use you, and people are going to name their children after you. They're going to name their kids Paul, and they're going to name their dogs Nero. Paul, I haven't forgotten about you. You're still right in the center of my will, but Paul, the answer to your question of will you remove this adversity and will you change my circumstances and ease my pain? Paul, the answer is no, but with a promise, my grace 
is sufficient for you. So what do you do when you're the Apostle Paul and the God whom you're serving with all your heart and your soul and you're risking your life almost every day for him and he looks at you and he says no? And now you have an issue that is painful, humiliating, debilitating, and it's permanent. And what Paul writes next, and, and, and you know, there are people in here that maybe you don't read the Bible, and you, you would say, the Bible's not true, it's all made up, it's not really real, and you know, it's written by men, and I know you went to your freshman English class and, at the university, and the teacher that you ex- respected told you that the Bible's all made up and it's not real, and I, I, I get that, I understand that, but I'm telling you, what he writes next if, if these things are so, these kind of statements are so extreme, you would never put these in the Bible if you were writing a Bible to kind of fool people. If you were making this up, you wouldn't put what's next in the Bible, you wouldn't put it in there. This so very much comes from the heart that was in tune with the will of God in the first century. Here is what he writes next. You ask the question, Paul, what are you going to do in the meantime? What now? What now? It's It's painful, it's humiliating, it's debilitating, it's permanent. And here's what he says, verse 9 of of 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that. Here's another one of those purpose statements. This is another one of those things in Greek class. I love this little phrase because I could recognize this one. It's all over the New Testament. So that Christ's power may rest on me. You may have a different translation Uh, than the Bible I'm using. The word I'm using is power. Your version may use the word glory so that Christ's glory may rest on me. Here's what he's saying. Therefore, since this is not going to go away, since this is going to continue to get in my way, and since this is something that people are going to continue to associate with me, some people are going to ask, you know, I wonder why God doesn't take that away from Paul. Here's what I'm going to do with this thing that won't go away. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to respond to this adversity that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And I want this gone from my life so bad I can't stand it. God has given it to me, and I'm going to boast in it. I'm going to glory in it. I would give you the mental image right now of a dog that's just been let out of a pen or just been let off his leash or he's been turned loose in the park or his, his you know, you see these when, this, when the um, troops come home and they've been away from their dog forever and the dog finally sees them and they just get so excited they don't know what to do and they start wallowing in the grass and they just, it's like they just can't get, they gotta get grass all over them, right? Have you ever seen a dog do that where they just shimmy and shake and they get on their back and their feet are up in the air and they're just, they're wallowing in it. That's the image that Paul paints here. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm going to get it all over me. It's not going away? Okay. God, if it's not going to go away, I'm just, I'm going to glory in it. I'm going to boast in it. I'm going to get it all over me. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to make excuses for it. If God has chosen this for me, then I'm going to surface it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to own it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. When people say, Paul, I heard you got this thing. Oh, yeah, I got this thing. Yeah, let me, let me tell you about this thing I got. Well, Paul, I heard that the last time you were here, you passed out. Yeah, you're right, I, I did. I passed out, and, and it was embarrassing, and it was, it was humiliating, and it was painful. I fell and hit my head, and 
you know, people wondering bad things about me? Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Did you hear about the Apostle Paul? Yeah, but did you know you can talk to him about that? He'll ask him about it. He'll tell you all about what's wrong with him. He won't hide from it. He's not ashamed of it. He, he, it's almost like he glories in it. It's almost like he boasts about it because God's given it to him. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, it's not a secret, so that, in other words, there is a result, so that there is an outcome, Christ's power may rest on me. Wow. So what, Paul? What now? I'm going to own it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to allow it to define me so that it can bounce off me and God can get glory through it. I'm not going to try to hide it. God gave it to me. God clearly has given it to me for a reason, so I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. I'm going to do all I can to take whatever this bad thing is and reflect God's glory. That's what I'm going to try to do. So see, there's this little grammatical thing happening with the Greek, and, and the implications of it are powerful. Here, here's another way of saying the same thing. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. That's really what he's saying. Embracing your inability. In other words, I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to run from it. I realize that in order for me to experience Christ's power through me, this is, you know, this is really important. In order to experience the grace that God has promised through the circumstances, I have to embrace the circumstance. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. Here's why that's important. Because some of us at every stage of life, we bump up against this thing. And it's there and it's not going away. And you've asked God to take it away and he's not taking it away and you don't understand and it makes you mad. And we bump up against unchangeable circumstances. We run into that thing that is an embarrassment. We hope nobody finds out. It's a disability. It has caused us to not be as good as we wanted to be. Our tendency is to hide and to pretend and to lie. And Paul says, when I got over all of that and I embraced this and I saw this as a gift, I experienced Christ's power in me. And Paul concludes with this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To which we say, but Paul, that's not the American way. And Paul would say, well, and that's why you're not experiencing the grace of God in the area of your struggle. Because you're trying to do it the American way. Now, all of that to say, I think all of this hinges on the phrase that appears at the beginning of this important piece of literature, and it's this statement right here. In order to, I was given a thorn. God has a purpose and a reason, and for God to fulfill his will through me in this world, he gave me a gift, and the gift was a thorn. See, you don't look at thorns as a gift. I mean, that's just not normal in America. We don't do that. Thorns are bad. We try to get rid of thorns. 
It was a gift with a promise, and it was a gift with a purpose. But I had to see it as a gift, not an enemy, Paul would say. I had to receive it and embrace it instead of resisting it. And once I received it as a gift that had a purpose in order to, and once I received the gift with a promise, my grace is sufficient, then something powerful happened that would not have happened any other way. And that brings us to us. See, if you believe, and I think most of you in this room do, if you believe that God can change your circumstances, if you believe that God could somehow magically change things, you know, fill in the blank, your marriage, your job, you know, the recorded history of your grades, I don't don't know what you're trying to get away from or around or whatever, but if you believe that God could somehow magically change your circumstances, heal your body, heal your son, I don't know, win the lottery, I don't know what you're hoping God will do for you. If you believe that God could somehow change your circumstances but that God has chosen not to, you have the option to receive whatever it is you're dealing with as a gift with a purpose and a promise. If you believe that God could if he wanted to, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed that he would, but it looks like God is not going to do what you want him to do, you have the option to change your attitude and change your perspective. And this is not in my notes. I'm going to deviate from my notes just for a moment to tell you a story. When I was about 18 or 19 years old, I grew up a kid in a great church, had a great pastor. His name was L.D. Campbell. You've heard me talk about L.D. I love L.D. Campbell. He's had a, been a huge influence in my life. And I was at a stage in my life, things weren't going well, I was trying to make some decisions, everything I'd tried to do to that point hadn't worked out. You know, looking back in hindsight, the problems really weren't that big, but when you're 18 or 19 years old, they look pretty big. So I made an appointment with my pastor, and we went to a a restaurant, and he ordered a salad, and he was eating a salad, and I'm pouring my heart out telling him what my options are and what I'm trying to figure out. And, you know, LD, this is what's going on in my life. And pain and heartache and suffering and, you know, wah, wah, wah. And LD's just listening. You know, he's eating his salad and munching on a salad. And finally I get it all spilled out and I'm waiting for these nuggets of wisdom to come from my pastor, this man I've looked up to, this man that I've I've just, you know, I've just listened to, there's so many things he said to me that I can still remember to this day. And he looks at me and he says something, and to this day it's one of the most profound pieces of advice I've ever been given, but I'm going to warn you, when you hear it, it's not going to rot your socks off, okay? You're going to hear it and you're going to think, really? Because when I heard it, that's what I thought. I'm like, really? I just gave you all that and that's all you got for me. L.D. looked back at me, chewing on his salad, and he said, Son, change your attitude, change your day. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just hear all that I just said? That has nothing to do with my attitude. You know, L.D., I think I've got a good attitude. I I don't deserve any of this stuff that's going on. You know, this is not helping me. Change your attitude, change your day. Are you kidding me? That's all you got. And I'm I'm giving you that this morning, and and whatever your circumstances are, you hear it right now. Trust me, I know I've been where you are. I've heard those words, and I've thought, no, that's not helping me. Hang on to that sentence. Change your attitude. Change your day. 
Change your attitude. Change your day. Whatever it is that you're facing, you have the option to receive it as a gift with a purpose and a promise. The purpose is yet to be made known. The promise is, my grace is sufficient for you. The reason I gave you the option, or no, I I said that wrong. The reason I say you have the option is because I think it's really none of my business. I can't force you to do this. I can't make you do this. I would be overstepping my boundary to tell you that you must accept this as a gift. This is something that you have to choose for yourself. You have to come to a place where you do this. This is something that people come to individually, something that God kind of leads them to the edge of, and it's something that it's almost like a revelation. You come to a place and you go, oh, I get it. This isn't the enemy. This thing in my life, I've been looking at it as the enemy. This is coming from God. I've been asking God to take it away, and God's saying no, and I need to start to see this as a gift, as a gift of a thorn in my side. It takes time. You have to struggle and wrestle and struggle and wrestle, and you resist, and and then at some point you come to the place where it hits you and you say, instead of struggling and fighting with this for the rest of my life and carrying a bad attitude, I'm going to choose to view this as a gift with a promise and a purpose. Now, I know that isn't what some of you were taught. I know you didn't grow up in church, and that's what they taught you. You were taught if you pray enough and you have enough faith, and the reason things aren't going well for you is you don't have enough faith. Your faith isn't big enough. Your faith isn't sure enough. Have you ever been told something like that? You ever had a preacher say something to that effect? The problem with you is you just don't have enough faith. Which is not biblical, and it's not New Testament. It does not reflect anything in the lives of the people who brought us the gospel. And you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Brett. We're about to throw down right here because I don't think I can agree with that. Okay, if you came up under that kind of teaching and you think that this is unchristian and somehow I'm expressing some kind of a lack of faith, I just want to put your adversity into a broader context, okay? Because our Savior faced a situation of his own. The Bible tells us that the night before he would be crucified, He was wrestling with his heavenly father, and here is the way Luke describes it for us. Luke 22, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, that's his disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, which means if you're able, and I believe you are, if you wanted to, you could. If you are willing, so Jesus is acknowledging, God, I know you can, I know if you wanted to, you could. If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, you have placed in my hands a gift that is anything other than a gift. And I realize that this gift has a purpose. It's going to impact every human being that's ever been born. And I know that this not only has a purpose, it has a promise that you are going to sustain me through it. But Heavenly Father, if you're willing, would you please Take this cup away from me. Would you please take it away? But if you choose to say no, not my will, 
but yours be done. And in some small way, but in a very significant and powerful way, when you choose to see your adversity as a gift with a purpose and a promise, in some powerful way, you enter into the sufferings of the Savior. And this is why people on the other side of really hard things say things like, you know what, I would never choose that again, but I wouldn't trade what I learned in that circumstance for anything on earth. You ever talk to somebody that's been through something really hard and they say stuff like, you know, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade the lessons I learned. I learned a lot through that and I wouldn't give up anything that I learned for what I went going through that. In, in, in some strange way, I'm almost glad I went through that hard time. Because it changed me as a human being, and it gave me a different perspective. And it gave me the opportunity to help other people. Listen, I've been through my, my share of hard stuff. I've been through my share of humiliating stuff. My life's not been all rosy all the time. I do a lot of counseling. I can't tell you how often I take the stuff that I went through that wasn't good, wasn't, wasn't um, happy, you know, it was painful, it was hard, I didn't understand, and God has taught me so much. And when I do counseling... Almost all of my counseling comes out of what I've been taught, either out of my own dysfunction or the dysfunction of others and, and my own bad mistakes or my own not understanding something where I'm, I've prayed, God, take this away. And God's like, no, I got something for you in this. You're going to learn something here, Brett. Just, 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 you're going to hang on. And then someone walks in the room and they say, Brett, this is what I'm dealing with. And I say, well, I know a little something about that. I've been through that. I know a little about that. Here's what I've learned. You've got to look back and you've got to say, yes, it was a gift with a purpose and a promise. The good news is there is not a thing wrong for you to ask that the cup be taken away. There's not anything wrong with you going to God and saying, God, this thorn that I've got, could you please take this away because it hurts? It's painful, it's debilitating, it's humiliating. Please don't make it permanent. There's nothing wrong with you going and asking God. The not-so-great news is sometimes God says no. Every single one of us who calls Jesus Lord is, and is grateful that our Heavenly Father, we're all grateful that our Heavenly Father said no to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are all grateful that he said no. And what we learn there and what we learn from Paul and what we learn from other people is that sustaining grace begins with not my will, but thy will be done. So if you're here and you're in a what now season of life, I want to offer you this option. Would you be willing to receive it as a gift with a purpose and a promise? The purpose is yet to be revealed possibly. Maybe you don't know yet what the purpose is. The promise is this, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in your weakness. I had the opportunity two nights ago to talk to my good friend, Matt Sullivan. And if you know Matt Sullivan, you know that Matt is in a powered wheelchair and he basically can't feel anything from his shoulders down. He can feel a little bit in his arm. And, you know, about the time I start thinking I've got issues and problems, Matt rolls up in his wheelchair. And suddenly, whatever's going on with me isn't nearly as problematic. Do you know what I mean? And so I, it's just been hitting me as I've been getting ready for this series and as I'm working through stuff that, that I want, 
I mean, so much of this describes Matt. I mean, he's, he, what he has is debilitating. I imagine for him, if he, if he would be totally honest, there are times it's humiliating for him. And I learned the other night that it's somewhat painful. I said, so, like, you feel nothing from the shoulders down? He said, well, that's not exactly true because I, he said, I feel a burning sensation. And he said, it's like, I said, all the time? He said, most of the time. And he said, as I'm talking to you about it right now, I really feel it. So he's got that going on all the time. I said, Matt, is there any hope? Like, I watched a program the other day. We were watching television, and and they were talking about, scientists are telling us that they're going to eventually get us to a place where we live forever. Do do we really want to do that? But we're going to live forever. And I looked at Didi, and I said, hey, how about we just heal Matt before we do all that, right? Why don't we figure that out first? Let's get Matt out of the wheelchair, and then maybe we can talk about the technology that we can throw into making the rest of us live forever. That'd be great. I looked at Matt. I said, Matt, is there any hope that you will be able to walk someday? He said, probably not. He said, even if they could heal what's wrong with me, the atrophy that I've experienced for 20 years, he's been in his chair 20 years, he said it would take another 20 years of therapy just for me to be able to walk. He said, I'm probably never going to walk again. He said, my hope is that they advance technology to the place that if this ever happens to somebody else, that they don't have to experience what I've had to experience. So not now, not only is it humiliating, and not only is it debilitating, and not only is it painful, now it's permanent. It's permanent. What do you do when you're in a place and it's not going to get better? So it just strikes me that what, what I want to do at the end of the series is I'm going to interview Matt on the stage and just let you hear from his own words how he's coped and what he's dealt with and you will be inspired and you want to invite your friends okay you want to make sure you do not miss that Sunday but listen this is real for us right this is real this is we go to God with these thorns and we say God would you please take this away and God says no I'm not taking that away but God I don't understand I know you don't understand Brett I know you don't understand but you have to trust me you're going to be able to use this. You're going to turn this around and you're going to reflect my glory with this. Trust me. Trust me. You will. There's a purpose and there's a promise. Brett, my grace is sufficient for you. Somebody, you came to church this morning just to hear that. And I hope you did. Let's pray. Father, um, we got stuff, man. We got stuff. We got, we got issues. We got stuff that's not going away. We got painful, debilitating, humiliating, and some of us it's permanent stuff. And we've begged and pleaded and we've cried and we've not understood and we've shaken a fist at you and you've been gracious and, and you've put up with all that and the answer is still a very quiet, no, I'm not going to take that away. And we don't understand. We live in a culture where everything gets fixed, everything gets better, and this isn't getting better God, you got to fix it. And your answer is no. There's going to be a purpose for this. And here's the promise. My grace is sufficient. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to walk with you through it. So, Father, somebody in the room this morning is just hanging by a thread, and they needed to hear that. 
And I pray that you would take the weakness of my words and that you would compound it and you would make it powerful for them in their life and they would see this in a life-changing way. So that they trust you and they know God's got a purpose, God's got a promise for me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.